It is a privilege for us to be able to meet and worship, and one of the reasons we're able to do that is because of so many who have sacrificed for us. Uh, we're very grateful today to be able to celebrate our soldiers, but specifically Memorial Day is not a day to celebrate veterans. It is a day to celebrate veterans who have given their lives for our freedom. So uh, one of the things I would like to do is simply to celebrate and maybe pray for families. Uh, we have many families that um, they are touched by the loss of loved ones, individuals who have given their lives. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a child, but they've given their lives in service to our nation so that we can have the freedoms that we have. So I would like to actually begin today with a word of prayer. Father, we come before you and we are grateful to be able to have the freedoms that we have. Lord, you have given us great blessing here in this land. But much of that blessing has come at the sacrifice of others. Lord, thank you for those who have willingly laid down their lives so that our freedom could be obtained. Thank you for the families that willingly send their children, their spouses, even their parents to go out and to serve. Lord, I pray today that you would allow your Holy Spirit to simply come and fill those who grieve. I pray that the great comforter would come upon them and they would recognize that you are there with them no matter how difficult it may be. We know that today there are soldiers that are in harm's way and we pray that you would uh, put a hedge of protection around them. I pray that you would help them to be able to stand strong, and I pray that you would be able to bring them back home safely. But until then, I pray that your hands would be wrapped around their loved ones. I pray that you would comfort them, and I pray that you would give them a peace that passes all understanding, and simply knowing that they are in your hands above all else. Lord, I praise you for your faithfulness. Thank you again for the sacrifice of others. May you be honored now as we exercise the freedoms that we benefit from these veterans who have sacrificed. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a great time for us to reflect on the way God has been good to us and the provisions that he has given, the sacrifice of other people. Uh, and I hope that you will take the time today. One of the things I often uh, actually, I enjoy doing it anyways at different times. And uh, if I see a soldier, I want to, especially if they're in uniform, I want to stop and thank them. It doesn't have to be Memorial Day. It doesn't have to be Veterans Day. It doesn't have to be Independence Day. Uh, if I see a soldier, I want to stop and thank them for their service. I do the same thing with police officers. Uh, I guess uh, in our board meeting a couple weeks ago, Linda Rice had mentioned that it was uh, uh, Police Officer Appreciation Week and just happened to be the very next day I was up at Central Elementary School and uh, there were all these police officers out there welcoming the kids to school, uh, making sure that they got in and I intentionally got out, walked over to each individual and just said thank you for your service. And to the officers, it means so much to know that someone does appreciate them. I will tell you that in, uh, in August, we will be taking the time to celebrate uh, those who serve our community. August the 13th, we have a day that is set aside specifically to celebrate police officers, firefighters, EMS workers, basically all of the individuals who sacrifice their time and effort on a consistent basis to keep us safe in this community. Uh, we'll actually do that out in the Family Life Center. We'll have one combined service that Sunday. It's still a couple months out, but I wanted to just give you a heads up. We need to be saying thanks to those who really take care of us, whether it's in the military or it's our police or firefighters or EMS, and that's really one of the uh, things I want to challenge you with today. 
None of that has anything to do with my sermon today, just to let you guys know. But I wanted us to take that time and to celebrate and to give thanks for that. When the builders of a proposed bridge across Niagara Falls began construction many years ago, the first matter at hand was how to span the river with the suspension cables. Launching a simple kite, a small kite, the builders were able to stretch a thin string across. Using the string, they then drew a rope across, a small rope, and then they followed with a larger rope and then a smaller cable and then finally a cable heavy enough to support in building the bridge. What began as a small kite on nothing more than a small string, when it was completed, the huge structure could then support a train showing no signs of having begun with something so small. This story reminds us that to do great work, we must begin by doing the small things first. This is one of life's foundational truths. We don't have to make life complex. Instead, it can be very simple. And the same is true with this area of stewardship. As you know, for the past several uh, weeks, I have been working through a series that is on practical Christianity. Uh, As children of God, what ought we to do? How should we be living our lives? And it covers so many different areas. We've already looked specifically at the issue of sexual purity. We've already talked a little bit about our integrity. Actually, in a couple weeks, we'll look more at the issue of integrity. Uh, We've talked a little bit about prayer and spending time in God's Word. And those are all things that are incredibly valuable to us But actually, stewardship is incredibly important as well. I know some of us get really uncomfortable the moment that the pastor begins to talk about stewardship. We've heard the statement so often that the only thing the church cares about is our money. I'm not going to tell you that there are no churches that think that way, but I'm going to tell you that most churches do not. The reality is stewardship is a very small thing in the big picture of our Christian faith. When it comes down to it, God is far more concerned with your heart than he is what's in your checkbook. However, if we do not do the small things first, it will make it difficult for us to get to the big things, to do the things that truly God desires for us. Often we look at tithing and giving as something that is burdensome, but rather it is actually a rewarding, fulfilling thing. It is an opportunity for us to invest in something that's much bigger than ourselves. Now, before I get too much into this discussion of stewardship, let me begin by reminding you of our key verse that we've been using throughout this whole series, and it comes from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. In this passage, the prophet poses a question. It says, what does the Lord require of you? And then he answers the question for us. He says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want you to keep that in mind as we address this very difficult issue of stewardship. I will tell you this, Although we do not talk about stewardship often in the church, probably because sometimes we're afraid of offending people, because we don't want people to think that we really are just about their money, stewardship, financial stewardship, is probably the thing that Jesus talked most about, because he realized how important it is. 
You see, when, when I do premarital counseling with couples, one of the truths that comes out every single time is that one of the primary things that couples often struggle with is money. They fight over money. What am I supposed to do with money? One wants to, to go buy a new boat. One wants to uh, set money aside for uh, student loans for when their kids grow up, when they go to college. One wants to uh, go shopping to buy a new pair of shoes or whatever else. And the other one wants to go spend money on golf. And often we, we fight over things that in reality, if we just did things God's way, things would actually be a lot easier for us anyways. In fact, uh, this is actually a two-week sermon uh, that I'm doing for you. It's the second one of those. The first one was with the sexual immorality issue. This is a two-week sermon. This Sunday, we're talking about stewardship from the aspect of tithing, being faithful in our giving and generosity, doing things the way God wants us to in regard to tithing. That being said, next Sunday, we're going to talk about stewardship, and I doubt I'll even say anything about tithing. You see, I believe today that God's word has very clearly defined how to manage our money effectively. We don't have to fight over money if we simply would do things God's way. Uh, far too many of us find ourselves in debt. 91% of Americans today are in debt. And often it's because we're doing things our way instead of doing things God's way. So next week, I want to be able to look specifically at how we can avoid being trapped, enslaved by our love of money. But that's next week. Let's start with this week a little bit by clearly defining what we mean when we talk about stewardship. Stewardship, first of all, is not about your money. It is about your life. Money is a part of your life, but God doesn't just want you to be faithful with your wallet. He wants you to be faithful with all that you are and all that you have. Something just to note here, stewardship is about how we manage our time, our talents, and our financial resources. It is about giving to God the best of who we are and what we have received. And there are two things that are central to our handling of our resources in God's way. The first is the issue of ownership, which we'll look at in just a few moments. The second is the issue of the heart. And I want to start here with this issue of the heart. Far too many of us, our hearts have become fixed on the things that we possess. Now, we may say that we're not like that. You know, I'm, I've seen people like that, but that's not really me. You know, I'm not really worried about what I have, and it's not like I need to have a bunch of other stuff. But you know what? Sometimes we say that. But the way we live indicates something a little bit different. You see, often we can tell a lot about what's in an individual's heart simply by looking at where they spend the most amount of resources or time. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This truth still applies to today's generation. You can tell a lot about what's important to an individual based on where they spend their money or what they're willing to put their time and effort into. 
as a youth pastor, I worked with kids from varying degrees of poverty. We had uh, some families that uh, were very well off. We had some parents who owned companies, some who had great jobs where they were making really good money. Then we had other kids who uh, their parents sometimes were unemployed or maybe they worked very inconsistently and to have enough resources to be able to do activities was really a stretch for them. So in most cases, when we would do activities, we would typically try to supplement uh, the cost. So if it cost $20 to do something, often we would cover half of the cost just to kind of help, especially if you had a family that maybe they had five or six kids. It's kind of hard to pay for each kid. And often at times we would even pay almost the entire way uh, for uh, kids fr from larger families. But there were times that we didn't do that. I'm going to give you a great example. We decided we were going to take the kids to Carowinds. We were just going to go and have a great time. It was part of their Christian music day, and we were going. We were going to enjoy all these concerts, enjoy all these rides. It was going to be a great time. I told the kids it was going to cost them $45 a piece, which is a relatively high cost when, again, if you have six kids. I told them we weren't going to supplement it because although there were going to be concerts, this really wasn't a spiritual thing. This was just a fun goof-off type thing. And we were going to leave at 7 o'clock in the morning. Now, you know what it's like to get kids at the church at 7 o'clock in the morning. It's not easy to do, sometimes because of the kids, sometimes because of the parents. Do you know how hard it is to come up with $45 when you've got one, two, three, four, maybe six kids? It can be very difficult. But do you know when we got ready to take that trip, there was not a single kid who was unable to pay for his trip. There was not a single kid who showed up late for that trip. And it's not because all of a sudden they became responsible individuals. It's because they knew we were leaving at seven o'clock whether they were on the bus or not. And what happens is when it's something that we really want, typically we can find the financial resources to do it. When it's something that we really want, typically we can make the time to be where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. The point is, stewardship in many ways is about the heart because if it's really important to you, you're going to make sure that it happens. Uh, actually, we do a uh, program here at the church called Financial Peace University. And uh, Dave Ramsey is the one who has really put that material together. And one of the questions I remember him asking in a seminar years ago was basically this. If you had a daughter who right now had cancer and could be healed with a $5,000 payment, do you think you could come up with that $5,000? And the truth is, if it's really important to us, you know what would happen you'd find a way to come up with that $5,000. Stewardship begins with the issue of the heart. The things that are most important to us, they are the things that we will make sure that we are prepared for and we are able to do. So I want you to recognize today that that is the beginning. I told you that there are actually two issues that are central to the question of stewardship, though. One was the heart, the other is about ownership. And for this point, I want us to spend the majority of our message and time today in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25. So I ask if you would, you can go ahead and start turning there. Stewardship is about who is in charge of your life. Is it you or is it God? We know 
what the answer should be. According to Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, we are told that we are to have no other gods before him, specifically talking about God. But is that true for you? I know that we say it is, but is that really true? To address the issue of who is in charge, God requires his people to give a tithe. It's modeled for us all the way back in the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis, who gave a tenth of all that he had. Yet the call to be faithful in giving a specific percentage back to God is echoed repeatedly in the scriptures. By the way, I don't want to mislead you in any ways. There are some preachers today that don't believe in preaching on tithing. And there's a reason for it. It's not just because they don't want to offend people. It's because in the New Testament, truly, God doesn't merely call for a tithe. Actually, a tithe is a great place to begin, but in reality, that should not be the end. God calls us to give generously. So when you look and you say, but I gave my 10%, if you really want to get technical, God's not just asking for a specific number. He is seeking a generous heart, one who is willing to give even beyond that. But each time we see it in Scripture, by the way, it is referenced even in the New Testament. Jesus talked about the tithe as well. Each time, one of the primary questions that is asked is, am I in charge or is God in charge? Realize this, we show God that he is first in our lives when we give him the best of who we are and what we have possessed. Matthew 25 Technically, it's verses 14 to 30. We're going to look at just a few verses. It's a familiar passage, and it will become an even more familiar passage as we realize how relevant it is to us today. Look at it with me, beginning in verse 14. Right now, I'm just going to read through verse 19. It says this. Again, it will be be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now, I've heard this passage used in so many different ways, and we could probably go in different directions here simply in applying it to our lives. But I want to begin in this setting by simply realizing what the purpose of a parable is. A parable is not an actual thing that has taken place, but rather they are helpful stories that help us to understand certain principles uh, to teach us a lesson. In this story, it's beneficial to realize that the wealthy man, the master, represents God, while the servants represent us. And just as in this story, it is the master who has entrusted our every resource to us. 
Everything that we have, it came from the master. He's the one who gave us the ability to speak, to work, to build relationships, even the ability to breathe. He is the one who has entrusted us with our families, our citizenship in a great nation, and the financial resources that sometimes we have perceived as something we have because of our own merit. The point is that you may be in possession of it today, but it was God's before it was yours. He is the one who has given us everything that we have and everything that we need. Here in this story, the master gives to the servants, and I want you to realize today that God has given to you incredibly generously. Often we take for granted his goodness to us. We look at the things that other people have and we think to ourselves, but I don't have as much as I need. And all I can tell you is God has given you more than you could ever deserve. And it's not a reflection of you being a bad person. It's simply he has already been incredibly generous to each of us. And this is relevant in so many different ways. First, If what you have truly belongs to God, then giving just a small portion of it back to him each week is really unfair to God, not to you. He deserves all of it because remember, he had it to begin with. He gave it to you and he said, here, I just want you to bring a small portion of it back to me each week. That's not fair, not to him, but we kind of like it. Can you imagine for a moment that you had a wealthy uncle and he came to you and he said, you know what, I want you to be blessed and I want to make sure that you've got everything that you need so you can be successful. So what I'm going to do is every week I'm going to put $2,000 in your bank account and I want you to make good use of it. The only thing I ask you to do is just as an expression of appreciation and thanksgiving, I want you to give me $200 back each week. So in other words, you're going to get to keep $1,800 every week. Use it as you need to. Make sure that that you're a good steward with it. Make sure that you're generous. Just give me the $200 back each week. Honestly, you're making out pretty good. When you look at it from that perspective, everything that you have has been given to you. Is it really that hard to give that $200 back to God each week? or to your uncle each week? You know the answer to that. God's been very generous to you. That 10% actually seems very small. In fact, when we look at it from this perspective, it actually seems really easy for us to do. It seems very simple for us to be able to to give that 10% because God's given us all of this in the first place. And while it seems really easy, The truth is, there will be times that we do not look at it this way. There will be times that things happen in our lives. We look at our bills, we look at our plans, we look at all of the upcoming expenses or the unexpected expenses that have just come, and we wonder how we're going to make ends meet. And then we're reminded that God wants 10% back, and suddenly we're almost like, oh, oh, oh God, I don't know if I can do that this week. We start justifying in our minds why God really doesn't care if we give that 10% to him or if we keep it to ourselves. Or we start imagining in our mind that this is only for a little while. 
and the time will come where I won't have to do this anymore and I'll be able to pay my tithe then. In fact, I'll even pay back uh, what I didn't pay before. And we begin to justify in our mind and the problem is that 100% of it was God's in the first place. And he said, all I want is 10. I want you to keep the other 90. And somewhere along the way in our selfishness, we say, God, I kind of like having the, the whole 100%. And the next thing you know, those who are in the body of Christ are not even willing to give a tenth of what God has given. The problem is the money was always his. He simply entrusted it to you. If he demanded, demanded 100% of it back today, he is justified in that demand. But how quickly we forget who it really belongs to. Remember, I told you this is the issue of ownership. And it's almost as if somewhere along the way we forget this was his. It's not mine. Did you know that everything you have was his first? The money you have, the house that you have, the vehicle that you have. Did you know even the family that you have was his first? He created you, he created your children, he created your spouse before they ever became a part of your life. They were his and he entrusted them to you. It is an issue of ownership. We must be people who recognize he's the one in charge. As we read in verse 19, the time comes when the master returns and he expects his servants to give an account for themselves. What did they do with what they had been given? Now, I know that there are multiple messages that can come from this passage. One of the primary messages deals with the fact that God expects us to make good use of what he has given us. But I think one of the primary points here is that he has very clear expectations with what we must do with what we're given, and we will be held accountable for it. Now, I want to take this, and I want to spin it back to that passage in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of us? Let's answer the question. First of all, to act justly. We must, in the area of stewardship, we must act justly. Let's begin with this issue of tithing. I know that some people don't like to hear it, but I'm going to tell you that if you are a part of the body of Christ and you are not giving faithfully through your tithes and your offerings, then you are walking in disobedience to your God. My purpose is not to guilt anybody or to try to force someone out of shame to begin to tithe, but rather I want you to understand that God does expect the minimum at least which is a tithe. We see it in Deuteronomy, we see it in Genesis, we see it in Leviticus, we see it in Proverbs, we see it in Psalms, we see it in the, all four of the Gospels, we see it in Malachi. I could go to at least 30 different passages where God calls us very clearly to be faithful in our tithes and offerings. So very clearly, if you are going to act justly in the issue of stewardship, then let's begin with tithing. We must be people who tithe at least a tenth back to God. But don't stop with your money. Are you being a good steward with your time? Are you using your gifts 
and your abilities to honor God or just to help yourself? Do you choose to do good when it benefits you in some way or do you choose to do good simply because God has been good to you? Because it's your opportunity to be a blessing to others. In this area of stewardship, whether we're talking about our time, our treasure, our talents, whatever it is, we must act justly. But we also must love mercy. Mercy and money can be intimately connected with each other. You see, often the presence of money enables us to display mercy in different ways. Maybe you have the financial resources to help a family in need or to support a ministry opportunity, something that you believe in, something that's bigger than yourself. The question is, are you willing to do it? You see, in this issue of acting justly, that's really the issue of tithe, giving that tenth, giving really the minimum. This loving mercy in many ways is the giving generously. It's us saying, you know what, I've given the 10% that God calls me to give, but I really want to be a blessing. And I want to go beyond that. And this is where we talk about the generous giving. Again, maybe it's not money. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's your talents. This past week, I received a a message from someone in the community about a family in need. Uh, The husband is uh, in a wheelchair, and the wife had been trying to build a handicap ramp on their house. And she's I'm not going to say how old she is. She's not young. I will just say that. And she's never done anything like this before. So I received word that this need was present. And I immediately got on the phone call with a few individuals. And we went over Thursday and Friday uh, to be able to work. I'm not even going to tell you who those people are because they were just, they were doing it as an act of generosity. Uh, We went over, I am grunt labor at the best. I'm not good at doing manual labor type stuff. You tell me where to put the screw and I'll put the screw in there. That's about as good as I can be. Uh, We actually had a great time. We worked on it Thursday. We finished it up on Friday. I was driving by that house later that night on Friday night. And as I drove by, the guy in the wheelchair is actually rolling up and down the wheelchair ramp because he's just excited to have this wheelchair ramp. And I thought to myself, I am an individual who I do not have the ability to do what many other people can do. But simply if we are willing to allow God to use our time and our talents and even our treasures, God can do great things. I will tell you that I believe today that God expects us to do so not expecting anything in return. One of the statements that I made to the family, and I genuinely meant this, I would love it if you guys come to our church, but whether you do or not, we want to be a blessing. We want God to use the generous hearts of those who have come, and God is using those hearts. I want to encourage you today. Maybe God is calling you to give generously. That's a part of loving mercy, but maybe God is calling you simply to go and be a blessing to someone who is in desperate need today. Love mercy. Offer your time, your treasure, and your talent to them. We need to love mercy in this area of stewardship. Remember that it belongs to God in the first place. Even your ability, even your time, it was his. Why not use it to help others who are in need, the people that he himself loves? The third part of this is to walk humbly with your God. 
The last part here is so important, primarily in relationship to this, who is in charge. The pastor stands up and he tells us that we ought to tithe, we ought to give, and we immediately go up in arms because we don't want the pastor talking about our money. We ask, who does he think he is? Who does he think, or what does he think he's doing trying to tell me what to do with my money? We believe that giving is something that is between us and God. It's nobody else's business. The pastor should talk about other things beside money. I will tell you, I hate talking about money. So maybe in a way, you're right. Maybe I shouldn't have to stand up here and talk about tithing, although it is a part of practical Christian living. Maybe I shouldn't have to. I'll tell you what, let it be between you and God. But if you're going to use that approach, walking humbly before your God means that if God says this is what you should do, then this is what you should do. That's the walking humbly. It's not you kind of trying to take the lead, but rather you saying, God, I'll follow wherever you take me. So whatever you say, that's what I'll do. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 14, this is God. He says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. That tells me that God expects you to tithe. So take me out of the equation. It's not about me. It's not what I say you should do. It is actually what God says you should do. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament comes from the book of Joshua. The Israelites have wandered for 40 years and they're just now coming into the promised land. Joshua is leading them. The first city that they overtake is a city called Jericho, which had huge walls. And we've all probably heard the story of uh, they marched around the city and the walls fell down and they ran in and they took the city and God provided a great victory that day. This was the only time out of all the cities that the Israelites would take in the promised land. This is the only city where God tells them, take all of the gold, the silver, the bronze, and I want you to give it back to the Lord. Every other time, they would be able to keep whatever they got. It's called the principle of the first fruits. It's saying, you know what? I'm going to give to God first, and I'll trust that he'll provide for everything else. You want to know what God expects of you? His word very clearly defines it. He calls us to be faithful in tithing and stewardship. He calls us to be generous people. He calls us to give first to him and then deal with everything else. And the thing is, God is so good. He has given you more than you have ever needed. He will continue to provide for your needs as you respond in obedience to him. The point is that if we are to walk humbly with our God, especially in this area of stewardship, then we must stop arguing with God over how much we are going to give or how often we should give. Listen to these statistics for a moment. Americans give 1.1 to 1.4% of their yearly income to various causes and charitable organizations. That number has declined by a full percentage point in the last 10 years. Americans give 1.5 to 3.1% to their church or other charitable organization. That number has dropped more than a percentage point in the past 10 years. Four out of every 10 church attendees, people who come to church every week, give nothing to their local church. They come, 
They listen, they enjoy the fellowship, but they do not give. Only one out of ten regular church attendees give a consistent percentage of their income to their local church. Where does this come into play? I'll throw 20 bucks in the plate today. You know what? I don't have an extra 20 today, so I'm not going to do it this week. That's inconsistent. But we are called to give faithfully. The national average of people who tithe to their local church, that's those who attend. The national average of people who tithe to their local church is currently 4% of church attending Christians. That stinks. Does that sound like a church that is walking humbly with our God in the area of stewardship? The answer is no. Now, I will tell you, this is a generous church, so please don't get me wrong. I'm very grateful for the generosity that this church displays. I love being able to support missions. I love being involved with different things in the community. I love the fact that many of you gave so generously just to be able to start this new service because you wanted to reach people. I love that. But the truth is, if all of us gave a tenth, a tithe, just as a minimum, the impact that this church could have on this community and on the world around us would be immeasurable. I believe today that God has called us to act justly in this area of stewardship, to do what God has called us to do, to love mercy, to go beyond just the minimum, to actually find ways to simply pour into those who have needs. Maybe it's in the church, maybe it's outside the church, but God calls us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God in the area of finances. My question is, will you respond to his call? If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, we recognize that money is so small. It's just a little thing. It's not necessarily the most important thing in the great scheme of what's really happening here. We know that you want our hearts. We know that you care about us as individuals more than you care about our money. But we know that it's often the little things that open up doors to the big things. We pray right now in this area of stewardship that you would have your way in us. Some of us today have not been faithful in tithes and offerings. We give when it's convenient. We give basically whenever we feel like it. But Lord, we give ourselves to you. Everything that we have is yours. Everything that we are is yours. Lord, I pray now that you would simply give us a heart that says, I will give as you call me to give. Lord, I pray that you would help me as an individual, as a pastor, to lead by example. I pray that each individual in this church would give not just out of obligation. Although we do give a minimum We act justly. We do what you've asked us to do. Lord, I ask that you would give us a heart for the world around us. Help us to give in a merciful way. When we see those in need, help us to reach out and to do whatever we can to help. But when we see something that we believe in, we believe a church or an organization can 
impact the lives of others beyond what we could do ourselves. Help us to invest. Lord, I pray that you would help us to quit arguing with you over money. Thank you for your generosity toward us. Thank you for the incredible amounts of money and blessings that you give to us every single year. Lord, help us just to be willing to give back. Lord, I do pray for our church as well. Help us as a church to be faithful stewards. We don't want to waste the money that you entrust to us. Help us to be a church that invests in your kingdom, not just in our pet causes, the things that we like, the things that we want to see done. Help us to invest in your kingdom. Help us to please you in the way we give, in the way we spend, and the way we serve. We'll give you honor and glory for what you do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now you guys know I don't like talking about money, even though I went to school to be an accountant. That being said, it's important. It may seem small, but it's big because little things turn into big things. Thank you so much for being a part of our service. Again, next week, we're going to look at money from a completely different perspective, but it's incredibly valuable to us. I would love it if y'all would come back and join us for that as well. Thank you for being with us and go in peace.